All right, here's the thing. I want you to trust God. Have you ever had anyone tell you that? You just need to trust God. Many people will say, and they may be correct, at least I'm not going to argue with them, trust God is an overused cliché. And some folks often scorn this saying as an oversimplistic counseling advice technique that at times can come across as harsh and uncaring. And they are right. Trust, trust God can be oversimplistic. It can be cliché-y. It can be bumper sticker-ish. And sometimes, especially among us, me, us, biblical counselors, it can be harsh and uncaring. Here's the big but. But to trust God is our greatest challenge as well as our greatest need. Cliché or not, overused or not, oversimplistic or not, it's our greatest challenge and it's our greatest need. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for your daily drive. This is the podcast where we put our article content in audio format so you can listen on the way to work or wherever you may be going or whatever you may be doing. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. Go on the website, look for this title. Here's the article. Three reasons God is not able to help you. This is a big deal. This applies to every one of us. And so if you want to read more about it, I want you to do that. Look for the title, Three Reasons God is Not Able to Help You, at rickthomas.net. If you want to talk about it, well, we would love to talk to you about it. Go to our website, get on our forum, and ask your questions. Thank you for all of you who have been asking questions over the weekend and last week and the week before that. Thank you for those who are going to be asking questions this week. We're looking forward to interacting with you. We are an interactive ministry. We get down and dirty. We get down into your lives. Whatever you have, you bring it, and we will help you. Perhaps you want to talk about this, this idea of trusting God and why it's hard to trust God. Maybe you have something else going on in your life. It doesn't matter if it pertains to sanctification, a personal issue that you are going through, a relational struggle that you may have, or a situational difficulty that you find yourself right now, you have a 24-7 life coach. You have a team of people that will jump on here and come alongside you and try to help and give you some directions or take advantage of it. All right, I want to talk about this idea of trusting God and at the end of the podcast, I want to give you three reasons that God is not able to help you. I call these the faith killers. These are the things that will crush your faith. And we all want to take heed because we want our faith to be better than what it is. We live in fallen bodies, and so the temptation is, is quite clear and is quite obvious. We can be weak and fragile, and sometimes we just dip a little too much and we need to be bolstered up. This is all tied to our faith. Now, I realize the simplicity of the phrase, trust God. But should we toss the baby out with the bathwater? Sometimes we can overreact and we can forget that this is our greatest challenge and our greatest need because the number one problem in all of our lives is unbelief, a condition of the mind 
that manifest as a combination of our inability or maybe our unwillingness to allow God to have full reign in our lives. Whenever you're working with a person seeking to help them through a personal or relational challenge, if you drill down deep enough, you will discover pockets of active unbelief entangling their heart. Fear is our greatest enemy, and faith is our most excellent response to the enemy. It's why so often in Scripture, as some have said, and I believe this to be true, though I have not counted, but the most oft-repeated phrase or implication in Scripture is some form of fear not, because it is our greatest enemy, and it came in the Garden of Eden at 3.6 of Genesis. Faith is the perfect remedy for all of us, but we have faith killers, things that strike out against our faith. Therefore, we need to understand more clearly what faith is. Faith is the key, the key that opens the door to our relationship with God. But it's not just the key, it is the coupler that leads to maturity. It opens the door and it connects us to God. Faith is how we live through any day. Now, by the way, all people, believers and unbelievers, live by faith. Now, if you want to read more about that, I did a study on faith and the hardened conscience as it pertained to 9-11, the Twin Towers in Lower Manhattan. And I have an article here on my website about how it takes faith to fly a plane into a building. You can click on this link and you can read that 2,000-word article but all people everywhere live by faith. By faith is the only way we can live, which is why when you talk about faith, you should, you should spend less time discussing the necessity of faith. Since we all live by faith, nobody knows what's on tomorrow. Nobody knows what's coming in the next few minutes. We have faith, whatever that faith may be in, and that's the key. And that's why we should be discussing less about the necessity of faith, because we get that, but we should spend more time talking about the object of our faith. Now, with that in mind, I want to give you a few questions that I hope will help you to think rightly about faith. Question number one, where have you placed your faith? We have options, by the way. Faith in God, that is the best possible option. It's the only right one, by the way. But some people have faith, for example, in people liking them. And their faith is in their blog stats or their likes that they get on their social media platforms. Maybe they have placed their faith in their abilities, whatever their abilities may be. Perhaps they have placed their faith in their charisma, there are many, many other ways to fill in the blank, but the question is, where have you placed your faith? Number two, what or whom do you trust most of all? The second question is like the first question. It's just another way of saying the same thing because I really want to provoke you to think rightly about this idea of faith. So what or whom do you Trust most of all. Is it God Almighty, Sovereign Lord? Or we have options. There are choices, and people take them. 
Maybe you trust your ability to manipulate or control other people, managing the narrative. I want to talk about that in a few moments as I bring Biff and Mabel out here so that we can use them as our ongoing illustrations of how to do things wrong mostly, but sometimes they get it right. When breaking down the object of your faith question, that's what I'm asking you. What is the object of your faith? And when you break it down, what you're going to find are two broad categories to examine. Number one, trust God's ability to bring you through joyously or victoriously. Or number two, rely on yourself. Ultimately, when you examine the object of your faith question, those are the only two options that you have. The object of your faith will be God himself and his ability to bring you through joyously and victoriously, or you're going to be left to rely on yourself because for whatever reason, you reject God. Now, as I have shared in many other articles, this idea in 2 Corinthians 1 This is what Paul concluded as he was going through a whole lot of suffering in Asia. There was competition for his faith. He was either going to rely on God or rely on himself, and that's why he said in 2 Corinthians 1, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. When Paul broke down this object of your faith question, he discovered that there were two options before him. Either he was going to trust God to bring him through joyously and victoriously, or he was going to rely on himself. Relying on ourselves is a universal default for those who will not trust God. With the Lord out of the picture, the self-reliant person has only one option, which is to trust himself as the only right way to answer the, whom shall I trust, question. Now, with these things in mind, let's talk about what is faith. Christians consider Hebrews 11 as the go-to Bible chapter on faith. If you haven't read chapter 11 lately, do it again. It would be fantastic. It would be convicting, I'm sure, but also encouraging. It is in Hebrews chapter 11 where you discover what faith means. You learn of many biblical characters who had to either rely on themselves or rely on the Lord. Now, because faith can have multiple meanings, it is good to think about it with a tighter lens. For example, what does trusting God mean? What does faith mean? Faith in God means. Some folks use the word faith to talk about our system of belief. They call it our faith, our theology, or our doctrine. They're not wrong in that, but in the context of this podcast of what is faith, we need a tighter lens because we're, we're not talking about the broad faith, our theology, our doctrine. We're talking about the object of our faith being God himself and God alone and how that buoys us up through whatever we may be going through. Now, other individuals emphasize the quantity of our faith. 
These believers have faith in their faith like the bigness of it matters. You'll hear them teach something like, you just need more faith as though the quantity of their faith is what will get them through their ordeal. This will fold up on you because it's, it's relying on yourself again as though I need more faith, a bigger quantity. Biblical faith is not primarily about a system of truth, our doctrines, our theology, and it's not primarily about surviving difficulties because of your faith, because your faith bucket was, was more significant. It was larger. Having the right perspective is critical. Biblical faith is about an object, sovereign God Almighty, to be specific. The question is, talking about your faith, who are you trusting? Faith should not be a leap into the dark. Faith should be a jump into the bigness and wonder of God My friend, Pastor Jim Thompson, said this, Biblical faith is confident humility and a persevering dependence on what God has done through Jesus. Faith acts as a conduit, a pipe, a tube that connects the believer to God who is the object of their faith. I like the way the King James Version of the Bible describes faith in 11.1 of Hebrews. It gives us a good descriptor of faith by its use of the words substance and evidence. Here's the verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You, you, You feel how these are Hard things, real things, they're substantive things, they're evidential things. The word substance and evidence point to something that is outside of yourself. But more than that, faith is not ethereal or hypothetical. It is substantive. It is evidential. That's what he's saying. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This perspective is valuable because faith is not so much about how you feel, but about what is true, what is objective, and measurable realities. Though you have not seen the result of your faith, you have not seen heaven, you have not seen Jesus, we have not stood or fell around the throne worshiping the Lamb, you can know that the object, God, of your faith is real. There are measurable, viewable, and discernible data that makes up your faith. This concept was the teaching of Paul in Romans as he was persuading his audience how they could not only know God is real, but they had no excuse for rejecting him. The evidence was substantive and irrefutable. You know the verse 120, Romans, Paul said, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, these things about God, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse." Though some of his readers were not working with specific revelation, they didn't have a Bible. Paul understood that. That's why he is appealing to them through general revelation, the things that God has made. They could know the realities of God 
through general revelation. You can connect this, what Paul was saying in Romans 1.20, to what the Hebrew writer was saying in chapter 11. Listen to 11.3. Let me read Romans 1.20 again, and then I'm going to roll right into 11.3 Hebrews. Paul said in Romans 1.20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen, the universe, was not made out of things that are visible. Can you see him who is invisible? As the Hebrew writer went on to say in 11.27, Paul said in 1.20 again of Romans, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. Can you see him who is invisible? Of course you can which is why you are without an excuse. Your faith is not swinging on threadbare fabric. There is substantive evidence that God exists, which gives power and forward motion to your faith. It takes more faith to believe that everything created came through random processes. This pagan worldview does not make sense because the evidence is not substantial enough to support such claims. When I look at the world as is, there is no question in my mind how there has always been a designer behind the design. This perspective leads me to believe, to have hope, to have faith, to have confidence, to have trust that there is a God. We have not evolved according to Darwinian thought and randomness or a Big Bang idea. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. Faith is built upon fact, not fiction. There is substance to our faith as the creative universe affirms, as I read to you in Romans 1.20, but also in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The substance of things hoped for provides the foundation for all of life. This idea is why Paul could boldly proclaim nothing will overpower a believer. You can read all of that in Romans 8, 31 through 39. This type of theology is why he was fully confident the Lord will finish what he began in your life. Your faith can take you through joyously and victoriously if the object of your faith is in the Lord. Paul had a faith object. It was the Lord. It was in someone who was real. He did not believe in random evolutionistic processes. He believed in God. This kind of faith fortified him even when life was not or even when life was tough, and even when life did not make sense. Let me bring Biff and Mabel out here because they are always good for illustration. And I want to illustrate faith, a bad kind of faith, so that you can see the difference. The Christian's faith, the object, is in God based on evidence that is substantive. Here's Biff. He's frustrated with his wife. Mabel is not all he wants her to be for him and his family. 
So he fusses, he cusses, he cajoles, and he commends. But she still is not able to perform to his standards. What Biff cannot see is how he is relying on himself to bring about the outcome he craves. The fussing, the cussing, the conjoling, and the commending. He's relying on himself. His tactics, that is his methodology. Biff's faith is more in Biff than in God. It's obvious. If his faith was in God, he would not be fussing, cussing, conjoling, and commending. He is a self-reliant man who will not rest in God because, here it is, he is not sure God will give him what he wants. And that is probably the major temptation that all of us find ourselves when we choose to rely on ourselves because we want something so badly that we go outside biblical boundaries to get it, and that is exactly what Satan told Eve. Will God do this? Well, I'm not sure if God will do this. Therefore, I take matters into my own hands. Biff wants something. He wants Mabel to be in line, to submit to him, whatever that means to Biff. And he's not sure God is going to give him that, so he takes matters into his own hands, fussing, cussing, conjoling, and commending. Biblical faith is not the warp and woof of his life. The evidence of the unseen reality of God, the invisible God, is not as real to Biff as what he sees, what he knows, and what he believes about himself. He knows he can get the job done. He's not sure God will. Relying on himself, by the way, has always worked for Biff. The proof is in the pudding. Let me give you a sequence of how Biff usually orchestrates his life, especially when it comes to his family, but also for other people. Here's a four-step process. Biff determines, this is number one, there is something he wants. Now, maybe his desire is a good desire. That's not something to argue at this point, but Biff determines there is something that he wants. Number two, Biff figures how to get it even if it means getting angry. Now he's gone off the rails. Biff decides there's something he wants, number one. Number two, he figures out how to do it, even if it means getting angry. Number three, Biff got what he wanted by relying on himself. Number four, Biff has more faith in himself than in God. Biff is the object of his faith. Biff can get her done. This process is how you know Biff's faith is more in himself than in God. When Biff stands in the mirror, he sees the object of his faith. He is the object of his faith. When Mabel does not perform to his expectations and he does not get the outcome he desires, he chooses to sin against her until she changes. For Biff, it is not about faith in God, but faith in any method that gives him what he wants. Biff is outcome-driven. If he were trusting God more than himself, he would be steady and secure rather than demanding Mabel meet his expectations and preferences according to how he wants them. But here's the big question, because it would be so easy for us to get angry at Biff. Turn the question around. Are you Biff? Am I Biff? 
Well, you can examine yourself. One of the ways you can examine your faith for its stability and God-centeredness is by how you respond to life circumstances. You see, that's what we were talking about with Biff. How does he respond to life circumstances? Well, he had a life circumstance, his marriage, Mabel specifically. She was not giving him what he wanted. And through that trial, through that heat that came into his life, he examined his faith. And it's not faith that's stable and God-centered, but it's faith that vacillates, oscillates, depending on what he needs and how he can go about and get it. One of the ways you can examine your faith for its stability and God-centeredness is by how you respond to life circumstances, especially when you do not get what you want. Being unwavering in times of trials mean you have appropriately dialed your faith into God. Biff wavers between being nice and being mean. That's why I said earlier that he, he cusses, conjoles, and commends. Sometimes he cusses and conjoles because those are the two methods that he uses to get what he wants. Sometimes he commends, but he's not stable and he's not God-centered. He wavers. He's a double-minded man, as James would talk about in James 1. Do I need to be nice today to get what I want, or do I need to be mean today to get what I want, depending on what is needed to get what he wants? He will not trust God to bring about the desired outcome because he does not fully believe the Lord will give him what he wants. In Hebrews eleven six, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's two parts to this verse in eleven six. You believe that God exists and you believe that he rewards you if you seek him. Biff lives in attention. He is unable to benefit from God because he is not pleasing God, which is what the Hebrew writer is telling us. The only way to please God is by resting, relying on, trusting God. To please God is to trust God alone. Charlie Boyd, my all-time favorite preacher, says, God is pleased with us when two things about him are reflected in the way we live our lives. First, he is real, and second, he rewards those who seek him. That's what the Hebrew writer said in 11.6. It is possible to please, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that God is real, that's what Charlie said, that that God is real, and number two, he rewards those who seek him. Let me read his quote again. Charlie Boyd said, God is pleased with us when two things about him are reflected in the way we live our lives. First, he is real, and second, he rewards those who seek him. Biblical faith is not about who God, I'm sorry, biblical faith is about who God is and what he can do for you, which is what puts Biff in a trap. Though he knows God's God exists, he's unsure God will give him what he wants. There's the trap. Because Biff is not pleasing God by trusting him, without faith it's impossible to please him, the Lord cannot reward him. The Lord rewards those who trust him. But Biff wants God to come through for him and give him what he wants. 
And if he did, Biff would trust God. Do you see the dilemma? God, you give me what I want, and I will trust you. God says, you must believe me, trust me, and then I will give you what you want. He rewards those who seek him. If God does not give him what he wants, which he won't, Biff must downsize his faith by placing it in things that will make him happy. Because Biff can't get what he wants from God, because he won't place his trust in God, Biff has to downsize his faith by placing it in things that will make him happy, the things that will give him the rewards he craves. This perspective means Biff must trust Biff, not the Lord. Now, when you have somebody that's trusting themselves and not the Lord, the big question for Biff centers on why he won't place his faith in God. Now, there are three reasons why Biff will not trust God. These three things are his faith killers, the things that have made God small in his life. If a person is not going to trust God, there are one of three reasons why he won't. Number one, he's angry at God. Number two, he's afraid of God. Number three, he's ignorant, unaware of God. Let's take anger. Biff has been disappointed many times by God in his past. Do you know you cannot be angry or disappointed in this case at God and trust him at the same time? One of the two attitudes will master you. Number two, Biff is afraid of God. Biff is afraid God will not give him what he wants. Biff has a desired outcome in mind, but he is unsure the Lord wants to reward him, so he relies on himself. And number three is ignorance. Because of his insufficient awareness of who God is and what he can do, coupled with his fear and disappointment in God, Biff chooses to rely on himself. If you want to read this podcast, please do. Three reasons God is not able to help you. You can read the entire thing. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.